that good? Yeah. Well, Bible uh, Baptist Fellowship, it's a privilege and honor just to be with you this morning. Thank you for your time and attention and for silencing your cell phones. And, uh, and uh, yeah, um, I was giving a similar message. Sometimes I'll travel and talk about how to reach millennials, how to reach the next generation, and uh, get to, to speak at some conferences sometimes. And I was speaking at the Church Leaders Conference on this issue, and I had a friend of mine, Micah Tyler. I don't know if you've ever heard of Micah. He's, he's been in the radio a lot, on the radio a lot lately, uh, but he wasn't at the time. Uh, no one knew who he was, and I asked him, hey, would you make a, a video for me? Would you write a song about millennials? And that's how I was going to start my message, and so uh, he, he made this video, and we'll just start with this. Maybe you've seen it. Watch this. Amen, amen. 
That's my gift to you because we all struggle to spell millennials, and so now you know it's two L's, two N's, and you'll be able to sing that song. It'll get stuck in your head, and uh, it, it's always a little bit awkward when we play that song. So it's close to home. When it, when it went out on the World Wide Web, there were mixed reviews, okay? Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Mike actually got several death threats because of that song. I'm not kidding. That's not a joke, and, and some of you feel uncomfortable because you're, you're sporting a man bun right now. Uh, but not yoga pants, so I'm grateful for you, and I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that. And, and so, you know, there's, there's some lines in that song, uh, criticism isn't easy for their ears. And uh, so the, the feedback on the song was really, really harsh, at least from my friends uh, in the millennial segment, of which I am one, of which Micah is one. And the interesting thing about that is when he put it out there, in a day it had 30 million views. Uh, in a week, over 70 million views. Over 70 million views with that song. And so that's why uh, one of the reasons, one of the things God used uh, to make launch a career, actually, for Micah. And so if you, you on the ride home, put on Christian radio, you will hear uh, from, uh, from my friend. And so uh, that's what I want to talk with you about. How do you reach these people? Everybody's trying to reach them. And, and why? Why are you trying to reach them? Let me tell you something. If you're not reaching the future of your church, there is no future of your church. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm not, and I'm not like coming heavy-handed at you. This is just a math problem, okay? Consider what I'm saying, that if you are not passing the torch to somebody, then after you, when you leave, there's nothing left. There's no one there. Your church is literally dying. So my name is Jonathan Pecluda. You can call me JP. My friends, my brothers in Christ call me JP. And I've spent the last decade, over a decade, trying to reach this demographic. And the Lord has allowed me by His grace and a story that He wrote on my life uh, to give me, has given me favor with this demographic. And really what I want to do is anything that I've learned over the years, I'd love to pass on to you if I can. And so I'd ask you to take notes if you can on your phone or if you have a pen and a pad, and we'll just move through some of this, and you'll hear some of my story. But if you watch the Olympics, there's, this, there's always this passing of the torch, if you will. And so uh, you can think about it. Let me just, let me just, let's look around the room for a moment, have one awkward moment that we'll start with, and think, hey, who is going to be here in 40 years? Who, who is going to still be here doing ministry? Look around, please, I'm serious. Look around and, and answer that question. Who's still going to be doing ministry in 40 years? Listen, in 40 years, I hope I'm with Jesus, right? Maybe I'm not, like maybe I'm still here, maybe I'm still, but I hope in 40 years I am with Jesus. And I hope by God's grace that I've raised up people behind me that will carry that torch. If we pass the torch today, uh, you know, it's probably going to look something like this, right? More like these LED lights. Light bulbs have changed. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. My wife and I, we recently built a house. In the past couple years, we built a house. And when we were going through that house, uh, we were buying light bulbs for it, and it was just a different ball game. And so I don't know that if you've had to do this experiment yourself, but you go to the store to try to replace some bulbs, and the old bulbs with the filament, uh, those aren't there anymore. And so you've got to buy the expensive bulbs that I guess last longer and whatnot. And uh, so that was a frustrating thing for anybody do that where you had to replace some bulbs. You go to the store and they don't have the old bulbs that you use. And so you've got to figure out, hey, how do I replace these bulbs with, with LED bulbs? And so we went through that, that problem. And it was kind of frustrating for me. And, uh, but here's the deal. Here's what I've learned about these LED bulbs. They're more efficient. 
they, they last longer. The, the truth is they're better in every way. And as you think about the future of the church, as you think about these millennials, you may look at them and you may get frustrating, frustrated with them in the same way that you get frustrated when technology changes. You've got to use a thumbprint to open your phone or facial recognition or something, and it's, it's frustrating. But they are the future of the church. And, and if you can figure out how to unleash the gifts and the talents that the Lord has entrusted to them, then you've just poured gasoline, you've poured kerosene on your church in the most positive way, I mean that that it's going to move forward, that it's going to continue to be influential and effective. And so those, those bulbs are brighter. I think millennials have potential to shine brighter. They last longer. Listen, millennials are here to stay. They're not going anywhere. And so uh, I, I'm really passionate about reaching this demographic for two reasons. When I was 21 years old, I was at a bar and someone invited me to a church. I stumbled into a church hungover. I sat in the back row and I began to wrestle with what do I actually believe about Jesus. All my life I said I was a Christian. I went to a Baptist youth group growing up. Went to a church school for nine years. But at a crossroad always did what I wanted to do. Had a, a, a terrible a, addiction to pornography. Uh, loved women. Loved the club. Loved the bar. And, uh, and somebody engaged me out there and said, hey, would you come to church with me tomorrow? And I went. And the Lord changed my life. And, and so I, I love sharing that story because it's where he began to stir in me a passion to reach this generation for him. The second reason, it's more selfish reason. Uh, I, you know, I think this generation, uh, they're the most influential demographic in the church. You just think about it. I mean, they've got more time and resources and energy to be uh, the church. And so, listen, like, this is who you want to reach. Every ad agency out there is spending millions and millions of dollars. I'll just say larger than that. Ad agencies out there are spending millions and millions of dollars trying to figure out how to reach these people because they know that they're influential. The ads that you see on TV market this demographic. This demographic, I can call them Generation Y. I can call them Millennials. I can call them Young Adults. We use those interchangeable all to represent that, that those the people group, the demographic born between 1980 and 2000, those coming into your church. And so the reason they're the target of all marketing is because they are influential. One third of the world is Generation Y, the biggest generation in history. 61% of Generation Y feel uh, they are personally responsible for making a difference in the world. 81% uh, have volunteered in the past year. 77% uh, of millennials said that helping others was among their chief motivations in life. 87% uh, are saying that they think the environment is their responsibility. In fact, the biggest issue in the elections for millennials has been climate control. 79% uh, said they want to work for a company that cares about how it affects or contributes to society. I I'm saying this because I think these people want to do something bigger than themselves and they need your help. We know that God has placed a mission on them that's much bigger than them, that we could call them to something than any company out there that's going to exploit their gifts for the cause of profit. And you can bring them into the church and begin to unleash their gifts for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of mission, you could cast a vision for them. I know you can. As I look out there and I see your faces, I know that you can. Can I tell you something? They want to spend time with someone older and wiser than them. Now, they may not act like it at first, but I promise you, they have a deep desire to spend some time with someone older and wiser than them, to be 
invested in. It may, not see, it may seem like they lack humility at first, but hang in there with them, okay? Hang in there with them. And so summarize all this to say that they are powerful and they want to make a difference. They want to use their gifts to serve others. And so I, I liken it to, you know, like those LED bulbs. And the problem is sometimes lights shine to be seen. But in reality, these lights, God didn't make us lights. When Jesus talks about we are the light of the world, he didn't make us lights to be seen. He made us lights to show the way. And so when we can take these bulbs, look at me, look at me, look at me, and we can point them in the right direction to use them to show the world the way, I think you can effectively see how they could be powerful uh, in your church. And so just a, a quick, you're like, why would I listen to you, though? So uh, you shouldn't on one hand. I look out there, and I'm so humbled. Some of you have been doing ministries longer than I've been alive. Thank you. I mean that. Thank you. Thank you for the path that you've paved that we can walk on. Thank you for the way that you've strengthened the church. Thank you for the, the times that you've invested in the church, the choices you've made, uh, um, you know, to, to not benefit yourself financially, but to make sacrifices so that others would know much about Jesus. Thank you. When I came here, yeah, praise him. When I came into a church, uh, there was a young adult ministry there. It was about 100 people. And, um, and over the past 10 years, we, we've seen that grow to uh, 3,600 there in Dallas every week, another nine campuses watching, and about 30,000 millennials uh, streaming the content every week. And, and so you could say, like, from a contextualization standpoint, like, hey, but maybe this just works in Dallas. I would tell you there's a campus in South Africa. Um, there's a campus in Tulsa. There's a campus in El Paso, um, Houston, um, in the northeast and on the west coast. And so there's, there's something about the model that I'm going to share with you that I believe will work in the context of wherever God has you doing ministry. And so I'm going to share three points with you. Um, this is uh, narrowed down from a list of ten, and I can share the, the other ones, the other seven with you uh, in, via a blog. We, I actually wrote up uh, on this topic, so I can tweet that out later, however would be best for you to get that content. But the first thing that I'm going to call you to do my pastor, the pastor just before me, um, actually shared with you, it's, it's lead with authenticity. So the first thing that you have to do, and I'm going to expound on what this looks like, because I don't think we really understand what this looks like. Lead with authenticity. Millennials, Generation Y, they hate inauthenticity. These three points you can use to reach anyone, by the way, but it, they are specifically, or they are ex, uh, extremely important with this demographic that we're talking about. So lead with, in, uh, with authenticity. If there's anything inauthentic there, they can smell it, they can tell it, they can see it, they can taste it, and they want nothing nothing to do with it. It's the number one reason they are leaving the church because uh, growing up, their family said, hey, hey, come on, hey, tuck in your shirt as we walk in here. Hey, listen, hey, stop fighting. Hey, your mom, hey, we're done. Okay, act, get your act together. Let's go. Okay, hey, guys. Happy Sunday. Good to see you. And they're just done with that, man. They are so out on that. They want something real. They want something that understands where they're at, and so they don't want anything that remotely resembles inauthenticity. And the good news for you is that you don't have to put a line in your hair to reach them or have big crazy glasses or, or wear skinny jeans. They don't want a replica of their favorite celebrity pastor. They just want you to be real. Like if you can just talk about, hey, this, let, me, let me tell you about the last argument I got, with, got in with my wife. 
hey, let me tell you about my real struggles. Let me, let me share with you uh, some of the things that, you know, I've wrestled with, some of the things that have hindered my relationship with Christ. And as you can talk real with them, now that means for some of you, you're going to have to be vulnerable, potentially for the first time in your life. But I'm calling you to know yourself, be yourself, and like yourself, not to pretend to have it all together. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in weakness. And, th and then he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That, that as I talk about my weakness and what God has done in and through my life, people see the power of Christ. I say it this way, if dependence is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. If dependence on God is what we're after, then as we lean into our weaknesses, people don't see us, they see God. They see his power. They see what he's delivered us from they see how how he works and so uh, recently I was giving a message and that particular week I say recently it was about a year and a half ago but I was giving a message in that particular week I was in uh, on Instagram social media and I clicked on a hashtag that I shouldn't have and that took me on a journey to uh, see seeing something um, a, a woman without clothes on and, and I hadn't seen that, and I'm, like I said, I was recovering from, I'm a recovering porn addict, and hadn't looked at that, seen an image like that in a long time. And, um, and I was about to go preach, and this, Satan was attacking me, you know, and, and I, was just, I was so grieved by my sin and, and what I had done that I had lingered there uh, too long. And I just started the message with that. I said, hey, I'm going to dive into God's Word today before I do. I, um, I want you guys to know where I've been. And, uh, and I just, I walked them through the story in, a, in, a, in great detail and, and told them what I just shared with you. And uh, something crazy happened. I finished, I got through the message, I taught on something completely on another topic, said amen. And I, there's never been a longer line up here. I, I stepped down off these stairs, I stood right there, and I mean, the line was, I mean, at least twice as long as it has ever been. And it was just, I can't believe you shared that. I've never heard a pastor say anything like that. Hey, I struggled like this last week. Hey, I did this. Hey, will you just pray for me? Hey, this, hey, how do I get in a small group? Hey, how do I join this church? I've never heard, uh, I mean, if, if people are talking like that at this church, I'm, I'm in. What do I got to do? When's the membership class? I, I'm, I'm telling you twice as long as it's ever been any other given time. Now, don't do it to have a long line afterwards. But, but I'm telling you, they resonate with authenticity. And, and so where I'm at, like the church that I come from, we're just committed to being transparent. It's not shock value. I'm not trying to shock someone with crazy stories, you know, telling, or, or it's certainly not celebrating sin. It's just being honest and being vulnerable. And um, I, I'd encourage you not to strike a deal with your congregation. I think a lot of pastors strike deals. Hey, you show up, you pay up, you know, you bring your friends, you keep the lights on in this place, and I'm not really going to call you to anything. And I'll just show up and I'll read from this book and, and you go home and we'll just pretend like, you know, we're, we're playing church. And that's the deal they, they strike. And you guys know it. You know, a lot of people strike that deal. That, there's a, a book that expounds on this. I commend to you. It's called Come and See. Um, uh, by Todd Wagner, and that's, that 
specific uh, lesson is on page 82 of that book. And again, I just commend it to you. And so here's the problem. I was speaking at a seminary. And I shared the same story I just shared with you. Hey, before I was speaking, you know, this is what happened. I clicked on a hashtag. And, um, and so I was speaking at a seminary, a room full of, of uh, pastors-to-be, if you will. And, um, and I got the feedback afterwards. And the feedback was, hey, you should not have said that. You should not have said those words. You should not talk about pornography and mixed gender audience. Like, what were you thinking? And so it was like so much criticism of that story. Like, well, hey, uh, one guy said, you know what? We really need to present um, the appearance of holiness as ministers. We need to present the appearance of holiness. And I was like, well, the problem with that, you're not holy, you know? Christ is holy. Christ in you is holy. He's producing holiness in you, but, but here's the deal. that You've done things that aren't holy, and so what, as you present the appearance of holiness, do you just hide those things? Because that ain't holy, you know? And so what, what are we doing? How do we balance that? And, and I just said, hey, that's fine. They wanted me to speak on this very thing. I was speaking on this exact same topic, and I said, hey, that's fine that you feel that way, but you're never going to reach them. Let your church die. Let your church die. You're not going to reach them. They, they do not care about you playing pastor like you have it all together because they don't have it all together. So they don't want to hear from someone who has it all together. And here's the good news. None of you have it all together. Not one of you. So you all have the opportunity and the privilege to reach them. And so the second thing you do is expand their vision. You expand their vision. Don't bore them by playing church. Call them to something. Expand their vision. I love this. Um, I love this story in Matthew 16. It's one of my favorite, dare I say, prophecies in the scripture. Uh, see, test it and see if this is a prophecy. He's there with his boys. Well, Jesus walks up, Caesarea Philippi. What's up, guys? How y'all doing? We're good, Jesus. Just hanging out, man. Catching up. Hey, let me ask you a question. Hey, who do they say that the, the Son of Man is? Who do they say? Who do they say I am? Oh man. I don't know, man. Some some have said John the Baptist and others Elijah. Jeremiah. We heard Jeremiah. You know, one of the prophets. They think you're one of the prophets. Ah, gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. Hey, hey, who what about you guys? Who do you say I am? Peter speaks up. Which is like, oh no, you know, what's going to come out of his mouth. And he's like, um, he's like, you're, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Finally, you got it right, Peter, you know. Finally, yes, yes. That's right, brother. Hey, and listen, let me tell you something. And on this truth, on this declaration, on what you're saying, on you acknowledging who I am, I'm going to build a church, and nothing's going to stop it. The gates of Hades will not prevail. You're going to see the most unstoppable force the world has ever known. And those guys, they got to be like, oh, Jesus, what are you talking about? Are you sure? 
Because, listen, like the religious people, they don't really like you, and they want to hear them talking about crucifying you. And, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, but, like, there's only 12 of us, 12 rejects right here, and, uh, and we're not even sure about Judas. We're not sure he's playing for the same team. And so you're talking about changing the world, you know, that's, that's neat and all, but you fast forward now, right? And here on a Tuesday morning, 2,000 years later, we'd be retelling that story. Sunday morning, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions gathered in his name because those 11 people told somebody, 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 who told somebody, told somebody, told somebody, told somebody, told somebody, told somebody, told you. What Jesus did in that moment, the reason I call it a prophecy is because it came true. What Jesus did in that moment is he casted a heroic vision. He said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to change the world and the Holy Spirit is going to use you men. That's what we're going to do. And so those men, you know what those men wanted to do? They wanted to be great. They were, let's call them Generation A. If we're dealing with Generation Y, that was Generation A. And Generation A wanted to be great. And let me prove it to you because this is the number one question they asked over and over and over and over. You remember in Mark 10? In Mark 10 where they're there and, um, and Jesus sits them down and he says, listen, I'm going to go into Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified and they're going to hand me over to be killed. Guys, I got some bad news. I'm about to die. And James and John are like, I think this is a good time to ask him. <laughs> hey, that's interesting. Uh, hey, who's the greatest? Which of us is the greatest? Like, Jesus had to be like, guys, what are you talking about? Matthew 18, at the time, disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest? Mark 9, uh, but they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Luke 9, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Luke 22, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. The number one question they were asking, Generation A, when Jesus' time is, hey, what's in it for me? So if you're here and you're like, man, I'm so frustrated with these young adults because all they do is think about themselves. Not like the disciples did. They did so even more. What's it, what's the, who's going to be the great? Who's the great? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What am I doing here, Jesus? Hey, when, when are you going to free us from Rome? Over 80% of millennials believe they are very important compared to only 12% in 1950. Millennials' number one goal is to get rich, and their number two goal is to get famous. The number one question they are asking when considering opportunities is, what's in it for me? And so this is what they're asking in the church. What can the church do for me? And what I want to encourage you to do is to change that and spin it on them and say, no, what can you do for the church? Because we're for the brave. This is no, this is no little boys game. This ain't Boy Scouts. We, we are here to change the world. Buckle up, soldier. You want some of that? You want to come in here? Hey, you want to, you want to step into this movement? Listen, man, you're going to bleed out. This war is not a flesh and blood. There's an enemy. He's after you. But here's the problem. You can't just ask them. That's kind of the frustrating part. You can't just ask them. You don't just say, hey, good to meet you. Hey, what can you do for me? You've got to do what Jesus did. You've got to inspire them. 
It's a leadership lesson. Like, you just have to say, hey, what if? That's a lot of what if. Hey, man, can you imagine? Hey, let me get to know you. Let me understand the gifts and the talents the Lord has entrusted to you. And by the way, do you know why he gave you those gifts? He gave you those gifts for him. The reason he made you fast, that was for him. The reason he made you smart, that was for him. The reason he made you winsome, that was for him. The reason he wrote that in your story, that's for him. That junk in your story, that stuff that you thought you'd never tell anybody, no, God wants you to tell everybody so that he can use it. For him as, as a redemptive story. He's going to take your mess. He's going to make it his message. And, and so you begin to cast a vision. And this is so important, okay? I, I've, this, is, this is probably the number one thing. Put a star by this thing in your notes. Because here's the deal. When I took over the porch, the porch is a young adult ministry gathering in, in, in Dallas. And so when, when I moved in and th- became uh, over that ministry, overseeing that ministry, I'm like, what am I doing? And I looked around, I just like trying to scan the audience, and I tried to, I prayed a lot. I'm like, Lord, give me, help me understand what you're doing here, what you want me to do, how can I be faithful? And the number one thing that I saw, the one thing that I noticed was discouraged volunteers. And let me tell you how they got that way. So the porch would start at 7, volunteers would show up at 6.30 p.m. Tuesday, and they would get there, and then we kind of circle up, oh, hey, good to see you again, good to see you again, hey, let's circle up, let's pray, all right, pray, amen. All right, now, let me see who's here. Okay, you, why don't you go greet in the parking lot? You, why don't you go stand at the elevator, the door, when people come in, help them? You, uh, you help cars know where to go in the parking lot. That's a really cool shirt you're wearing. Uh, you look good. Hey, go stand at the Welcome Center. Um, yeah, okay, everybody, everybody has an assignment. Ready, break, let's go. And that's what they did. And um, as I looked out there, it just seemed like volunteers were discouraged. And so then we had this meeting. I prayed and, and felt like the Lord was leading in this. Had a meeting. All the volunteers came together. There's about 15 of them. I said, hey, let me ask you a question. Who here wants to be a greeter? Some hands went up. I said, respectfully, thank you for your service. We no longer have a role for greeters. Hey, who here just wants to be an usher? Some hands went up. Thank you for your service really appreciate the way that you've poured your life into this ministry. We no longer have a, a role for ushers. Um, the church has lots of needs. I hear they need some folks in child care. Uh, you can hold babies on Sunday. There, there's, there's a lot of things, great things that you can do, but we no longer need your service here. If you just want to be a greeter, if you just want to be an usher, thank you. Now, if you want to be a missionary, Okay, if you are willing to engage somebody, sit with them, leave your post, talk to them. If you're willing to sit with someone who's suicidal and walk them through the scriptures, talk to a girl who just had an abortion last week and minister to her. If you're willing to share your story in 30 seconds, 3 minutes and 30 minutes, all pointing to Christ. If you're going to be out there and you're committing to share the gospel with as many people as you possibly can every single Tuesday, then great. That's the new role of a, what was called a greeter. Okay, we're going to call you an evangelist. And so you can stand at the door. Your job is an evangelist. Now, if you want to be a pastor, you want to come alongside people. You want to walk alongside them in their troubles. You want to ask them not just how their day was, but what's the biggest thing that's going on in their life right now? How did God bring them? Why did God have them here tonight? And you're going to leave your post. And you're going to sit with them. And you're going to minister with them. And you're willing to pastor them through some of the hardest circumstances. If that's what you want to do, we have that job. We're going to call you not an usher but a pastor 
If you're up for that, then we have those responsibilities. So who wants in on that? Everybody's hand went up. Here was the really interesting thing. Before we started talking about it that way, it was like we were begging people to come. Hey, we please come serve and greet with me? Please. We don't have enough greeters this week. Please come and be an usher with me. Please. You know, we bring a friend. Do you have any friend? He just has to have a pulse. Please. And, um, and then after we said this, they lined up out the door. I say this humbly, just so you understand what the Lord has done, is, is now we have 250 volunteers there every week. They said, man, you, the, the first response they said is, man, we just don't know how. I said, oh, dude, we'll train you. I'm not worried about you don't know how. Like, we'll teach you. And you know what they said? They said, you, you're going to disciple me? Yeah. Oh, you're not here just to, like, get as much of my time as possible? You're going to pour into me? Yeah. Yeah, we're pouring in. We're going to teach you the Romans road. I'm going to teach you some evangelism strategy. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to take you with me when I'm talking to a girl who's cutting herself or a guy who um, just recommended his girlfriend have an abortion or somebody who wants to take their life. Like, I'm going to let you see how we handle those conversations, and then, I'm, then you're going to have those conversations. But I didn't go to seminary. Neither did I. Cat's out of the bag. But I got this book. I've been reading this book. Seems like it's got everything in it I need for godliness, teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So we just lean the book. We learn the book. You're going to be ready. And so that's what we did. And we stopped begging them to show up, and they just lined up. And we took their desire to be famous, and we gave them a bigger vision for making Jesus famous. We started praying big. We started praying, Lord, stretch out your hand and save every young adult in Dallas, Texas. Lord, stretch out your hand and save every young adult in Dallas, Texas. Then we started praying bigger. Lord, stretch out your hand and save every young adult in Texas. Then we started praying bigger. Lord, stretch out your hand and save every young adult in the United States of America. And, uh, and, and as folks had those stories of engaging the one and leaving their post, we celebrated. That's a good to write down. Celebrate stories. Make heroes out of the people who are doing what you're asking them to do. Because what is rewarded is repeated. Let me say that again. What is rewarded is repeated. And so when somebody engaged the lost, we just said, hey, man, listen, Frank last week, you know what Frank did? Frank talked to, to Joe. Look, Joe's with him this week. Joe actually wants to volunteer with us now because Frank engaged him last week. Joe was in a bad place. Hey, Mary came in here last week. It was a last resort. She was ready to take her life. She, she had plans to go home and to commit suicide. But because Jennifer engaged her, now Mary is, is committed to coming to the church. She trusted in Christ. She has new hope, new life. And those stories are amazing. They were fuel. And people were like, man, let's go be part of the greatest story that's ever been told. And they have a narrow vision, so expand their vision to all the Lord desires for them. And give them feedback. Celebrate them publicly and then grab them one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, here's how I think you could do that better. Hey, let me give you some feedback. Because what is inspected or what is expected is inspected. What is expected is inspected. And so just say, hey, this is how I thought you, man, listen, it seemed like you were, you were more about talking to your friends than you were about serving others. Let's talk about that. What was going on in your heart? And just give them feedback. Pastor them. Um, there's this story that's kind of become notorious in our, uh, on our team. It's one of the people on our team sent an email to a volunteer and just said, hey, um, can you send out this tweet? 
can you send out this tweet? He said, they were helping out with our social media. Hey, can you send out this tweet? And I just jumped on it. I said, hey, don't ever ask them to do anything. They're not your personal assistant. They, they don't work for you. Honestly, we work for them. You know, they, they tithe and that pays our salary. You don't ask them to do something. Cast a vision for them. Start with the why before you get to the what. Start, let them in on what's going on in your mind. Give them, you don't need to, don't be quick and flippant and fast and hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. That's not inspiring to these guys. Let them know that they're a part of the greatest story that's ever told and tell them the why before the what. Hey, here's what I would love for you to consider this week. This is really important. And let me tell you why I'm asking you to do this. Would you mind if? And the third one, that leads me to the third point. Deploy. Deploy. It's different than delegate. You're not telling them what to do. You're unleashing them with your vision. You're doing what Jesus did. You remember that? In, in Matthew 28, he shows back up. Those guys that were like, Jesus, man, we don't know if you know this, but there's only 12 of us, you know, and are you serious? Then they saw the greatest trick of all time. You know that they were running with him, and they saw him walk on water, and they saw the bread and the loaves and the fish, and, and they saw like the, the, you know, the, the lame walk and the, and the deaf hear and the mute speak, and, and they saw some crazy things, but then they saw the greatest trick. They saw that brother die on a cross, and then he shows back up here in Matthew 28. So they're all listening, and they're like, all right, Jesus, what do you want us to do? He says, what I want you to do is to take the things that I've been teaching you, and I want you to teach others. Go into the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that Jesus could have used anybody? He could have used anyone. He could have grabbed infants. Hey, gather around, little children. Here's what I want you to do. He, he could have taken the, the really, really, the, the folks that, that were at the end of their life and said, gentlemen, before you go, here's what I want you to do. But he didn't. You know who he grabbed? About a dozen young adults between the ages of 18 and 30. He grabbed young adults. He, he saw the same opportunity I'm calling you to see. And he says, this is what I want you to give your life to. And he deployed young adults. That's the last thing that he did. At the porch in the young adult ministry there, with, with, to, to reach those, uh, that many people, we have an unusually small staff. That's what I've learned. An unusually small staff. The reason that we have a small staff is because we don't do ministry to people, but through people. We try to use volunteers for everything that we possibly can. And so we hire someone as an, as an extreme last resort. And the only person we hire, and I mean it, the only person we hire is someone who's already doing the job. We just start paying them. And so if we find a volunteer and they're doing it and they're serving it, then you know, that's what a calling in a ministry sometimes looks like. Is hey, you're doing ministry. Can we pay you to do that now? And you would come on our staff. And, and though we're doing it through lay volunteers, no one feels like they're getting ripped off. Listen, corporate America is exploiting these gifts. We're just showing them why they have them. So that they can bring others to know Christ in a greater way. And so we unapologetically ask them to be an extension of our staff without the hit to our payroll. We call all of our volunteers to be bivocational, like the Apostle Paul. Hey, I know you got that tent making thing. You all work at the church. So keep making tents and keep working at the church.
And that's, that's our, our volunteers. So it's like our staff is of 250 people, but it's not. Don't do ministry to people. Do ministry through people. We trust them. We give them a budget. Like we give our volunteers a budget every year so that they can take their teams out and do retreats. We hold them accountable uh, to caring for the group of volunteers. We call them to purity. We call them to sobriety. We're actually calling them to something. And we're asking them how they're doing. We call them to confession that they would, you know, talk with their team about how they're struggling. I take them with me to pastoral care meetings. Like, that's a, you want to know how to make disciples? Never go to a meeting alone. Never go alone. That's like the greatest seminary of all time. Hey, come with me into this meeting. You know the first thing sometimes that person says, oh, man, I thought, Pastor, I thought I was going to meet with you confidentially. You are meeting with me confidentially. Confideo means with faith. You're meeting with me with faith that I brought someone who's trusted we're not going to gossip about your problems. We're not going to talk about them for entertainment value. But I just never go to meetings alone. And so if you want to meet with me, you're going to meet with me and a, and a trusted pastor. And, you know, I mean, they, they start out the conversation, well, I've been in a 12-year affair on my wife. So sorry. Let's talk through that. Let's pray through that. Let's get you connected to the right resources. Meanwhile, this young adult's like, oh, man, what did I get myself into? Hey, you're going to be okay. See, see what scriptures I'm turning to. See where I'm going. And that's, they're being trained up, man. They're being trained up. We, we believe in this model. I do it, you watch. We do it together. You do it, I watch. Now you go do it. I do it, you watch. Let's do it together. You do it, I watch. Now you go do it. I am deploying you. And some of the most effective ministries started through young adults just being faithful. Let me give you a few examples. <laughs> One of my favorite is uh, my friend Ryan. So we're in Haiti. Anybody been to Haiti here? Ever been to Haiti? We're in Haiti with our partner there, Mission of Hope, and, uh, and we're going into the villages. I've been to Haiti, I don't know, a dozen times, half a dozen times somewhere. And uh, I've got a bunch of young adults with us on this particular trip, and we're going through the villages. Uh, this particular village was Minotree, and uh, it's, a, it's a frustrating thing to share the gospel through an interpreter. I know that many of you have done that, where you're like, you're like okay, listen, Jesus loves you so much. Uh, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the world. That he loved, you know, and you just like, talking through an interpreter. It's a frustrating thing. So my, my interpreter that particular day is Villerson. Villerson's a believer. He knows Jesus. I know Villerson. I know he loves Jesus. I'm walking through the village. I'm like, Villerson, just you, you share the gospel. Like, I'll be the token American that, you know, gets us in the door, and then you go and just preach the gospel to these people. They're your people. You preach the gospel. And that night, we gathered as a, as a team, and we were talking about the frustrations of the day, and somebody said, yeah, I just, I wish we knew the language. We'd be so much more effective if we knew the language. And, and, and I said, I know, man. Let me tell you guys what I did, you know. I'm, I think I'm about to drop some profound wisdom on him. What I did is I just had the interpreter share. And, and Ryan spoke up and he said, but JP, do you know that that, that was his village? I was like, exactly. You're catching on. See, it's his village, his people. You share the gospel with your people. That's great. And he said, yeah, but you're asking him to go door to door in his village sharing the gospel. I'm like, Ryan, you are a slow learner. That's exactly what I'm asking. Isn't it brilliant? Tell me how brilliant my plan was. And then he goes, yeah, but, but, but we don't do that. Now, Ryan, this is where you need to respect your authorities, okay? No, I didn't say that. I'm like, I'm like you're right. We don't do that. And he said, when I get back to Dallas, I'm, gonna, I'm going to do that. I'm like, you're going to do what? He's like, I'm going to go door to door in my community in Uptown. 
and share the gospel. I'm going to invite some friends to go with me. It turned into Unashamed Weekend, probably the greatest external focus effort that we have. Thousands of people now have been through an Unashamed Weekend where they go and they stay with our ministry partners in the city and they go door to door and they partner with those ministry partners to help resource them to be the hands and feet of Jesus and that it all started in a com- with a conversation in Haiti one young adult a a guy who was in the business world said hey I'm gonna go do that now since then we've hired that guy to do that full-time because that's what he was doing as he was bivocational I'll tell you about Ali Wall Ali had a had an abortion she came into our ministry she had had an abortion she thought she was gonna take that to the grave never tell anybody um, she trusted Christ. She told somebody. She thought they were going to scoff her, scoff at her, you know, shame on you. What were you thinking? We said, hey, we're sorry. We prayed for her, and we encouraged her to tell her story. She started sharing her stories, and girls started coming out of the woodwork. Me too, me too, me too, me too, me too. The Lord started a ministry around her. Now she has a, a ministry to those who have had an abortion. It's just what God does. My, one of my other favorites is Lance. Lance comes in. Lance, I'm pretty sure the first time we met, he was high. And, um, and we're talking, and, and he's wrestling with who is Jesus, you know, and I'm walking him through, like, this is who Jesus was, man, Lance, listen, Jesus changed my life, and, uh, and I want you to know Jesus, and Lance trusted in Christ, and, and, um, and, and I was like, hey, why don't you come in and serve with us, and, and he's like, man, I don't, I don't really have any special skills, you know, I'm no superpowers, I'm like, what do you do for a living, Lance, see, Lance was like, who's who in Dallas, like, he was the, he was Johnny Uptown. I'm like, what do you do, Lance? He's like, well, I, you know, I throw parties. You know, I throw parties for about four or 5,000 people every weekend. Just go into clubs and, and throw parties. That's what I do. I was like, Lance, Jesus wants you to throw parties. That's what you're going to do. And so he took over a, an area, right? We, we didn't just give it to him. We didn't give him the keys overnight um, like God did to the Apostle Paul. But we, uh, we were slower uh, you know, to lay hands on him, and we just said, hey, why don't you, with this team, start to throw parties, different kind of parties, but after the porch. And it became what's called Porch Late Nights, a ministry that still exists today. Now that Lance, he's gone off, got married, he has kids, but his legacy continues because we called him to something bigger than himself. And so our best leadership training programs is simply to get people who Christ has changed and give them a job to do. Because these, these guys learn on the job. They, they learn on a need-to-know basis. And so don't do ministry to people, but through people. Let me just give you that again, those three points. is lead with authenticity. Expand their vision. And deploy. And you can remember that because these guys are like LED lights. Lead with authenticity. Expand their vision and deploy LED that can that can help you uh, remember how to lead these Millennials I I'm passionate about this actually for a third reason um, it's interesting to me and, and you historians uh, test me on this but it, it seems that at the epicenter of every revolution in history that at the epicenter of it was a young adult okay we talk about the French Revolution the American Revolution we could talk about the sexual revolution 
Any revolution in history, at the center of that revolution was someone in their early 20s or early 30s, or someone in their 20s or early 30s leading the charge and people rallying around them. And that intrigued me. And so as I started studying church history, they say, some historians say, some theologians say, hey, there's what's been called four great awakenings, four revivals, four times in America's history that the church has turned back and looked to Jesus and said, hey, we want to follow him. And so you can see, you know, we can debate on, on which ones uh, those were and where they land, but I'll, I'll tell you the ones Wikipedia acknowledges. And as I was looking at them, what was interesting to me is that those happened at a rhythm of about every 50 years. Almost like clockwork. Like, test me on this. Every 50 years, you would see a great awakening. The last one ended with the Billy Graham Crusades in the late 60s. Probably about 1968. There's something else interesting about it, man. At the epicenter of every one of those great awakenings, the first one led by Jonathan Edwards, who was 28 years old, and George Whitfield, who was 26. The other one, Lyman Beecher, 25, and Peter Cartwright, 27. The third great awakening led by D.L. Moody, who was 23, and Ira D. Sankey, who was 30. And the fourth one led significantly by Billy Graham in his 20s and early 30s. Happened about every 50 years, the epicenter of each of them. He's a young adult. What are you going to give your life to? What are you going to do? It seems that if there's any credibility to what I'm sharing with you, the single most strategic thing that you can do is to find some young adults and begin to pour into their life and pass the torch. Give it to them. And say, hey, keep going, brother. And pray for them and resource them and teach them. Can I pray that you would? Father, thank you for just the privilege it is to be with these men. Thank you for the Baptist Bible Fellowship and just that they would entrust their Tuesday morning to a gathering like this. And God, we don't have the strength to continue in our flesh. We're not smart enough. We don't have the right strategies. We don't know the right people or have the right relationships. And Father, some of us feel like sixth graders that are insecure, like we didn't get chosen for kickball or something And when we're dealing with millennials. And God, would you just give us the, we, the, the spirit, not one of timidity, but one of power, one of love, one of self-discipline. And would you strengthen us to reach this generation? Would you strengthen the church through them, through these men and the few women in the room? Would you allow them to catch a vision bigger than themselves to pour into the next generation so that your church, we know how it ends. We know that your church prevails. We, we completely get that. But Lord, on our watch, on our time, as you allow us to live, help us to be effective. Help us to be faithful. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. Thank you.